Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. Hello and welcome to Series 2, Episode 2 of Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. Today, I'm joined by my colleague and co-author Mike Cowan to discuss the findings of the 2021 Cost of Compliance Report, Shaping the Future. As mentioned in last week's podcast, the Series 2 thread is one of external threats, and the Cost of Compliance Report highlights a number of those challenges, particularly with regard to future change programmes. Now, the 2021 Cost of Compliance Report is the 12th. I'll give you some stats. Over the lifetime of the report, there have been more than 7,000 participants, more than 50,000 downloads, and it's been downloaded in more than 120 countries and downloaded by financial services firms, as well as regulators, law firms, governments and consultancies. As with previous surveys, the one for 2021 focuses on the challenges the compliance functions at financial services firms expect to face in the year ahead. The report does reflect the unparalleled interaction we have with the financial services industry and the frank frank concerns so generously shared by practitioners. And those provide a unique insight into the conditions under which compliance officers are working. So without further ado, Mike, last year's cost of compliance report discussed an inflection point for compliance officers. So how has this now changed for 2021? Uh, Good afternoon, Susanna. Um, So this year's report focuses on the future and the need for change to get to that future. As you say, um, pre-pandemic, firms were seeing an inflection point, a point where there were indicators that compliance functions had to change in order to meet the future demands. At that time, firms were seeing a backdrop of macro change indicators, such as a widespread uh, digital transformation, uh, an evolving supranational regulatory change agenda, and the shifting political expectations of supervisors. Then came along the pandemic and everything changed, whether we liked it or not. And if you add these two elements together, and perhaps compliance officers need to be thinking and planning for the future, where they can shape their own destinies, shaping the future. And if we look at the results from the cost of compliance survey, perhaps we can translate the challenges that boards and compliance officers are seeing into more micro indicators for change, if you like. These micro indicators uh, um, we've categorized in three areas. So indicators for cultural change, indicators for operational change and indicators for people change. So let's take those three in turn, because I mean, each of them in and of their own right are huge subjects. So we'll take a relatively brisk look through. There is obviously far more detail in the report itself. So culture, um, a risk aware culture is probably the most valuable thing a firm can have, particularly when you are dealing with an ever changing environment. So Mike, cultural indicators, cultural change, how do you as a compliance officer begin to make that happen? 
So before we get on to that, so just let me add a, a bit of a bit of meat to what you've already said. So in this year's report, uh, the following particular stats uh, indicate why uh, cult why there is need for cultural change within firms. So. Uh, firstly, boards of financial services firms have responsibility for culture. We've mentioned that many times in the past. But the survey respondents reported that instilling a, a culture of compliance remained high in the list of challenges that boards foresaw for 2021. The top compliance challenge that boards and compliance officers were expecting to face was the increasing volume of change, particularly driven by the new, new administration in the United States, and the aftermath of Brexit, not to mention the pandemic. Um, the amount of information expected to be published by regulators and exchanges was uh, expected to increase, with 78% of respondents expecting an increase in 2021. This is the highest percentage since 2013. Half of survey respondents expect the, the personal liability of compliance professionals to increase in the next 12 months. 10% of them expected to increase significantly. 62% of respondents said they expect the cost of time and resource devoted to conduct risk issues to increase in 2021. The survey asked what respondents saw as the single biggest um, challenge to manage culture and conduct risk. And two, two areas came out strongly. Balancing competitive pressures and managing a remote team uh, which we'll come on to in a little bit. Um, and then finally, a third of respondents said that they had turned down potentially profitable business opportunities um, for conduct risk reasons uh, in the previous year. So you add all this together and there's a massive ingredients where changes to a firm's culture um, um, could, could, could help for, could, could um, drive firms to plan for the change in the future. Just picking up on that last stat, one element I would suggest firms need to think about very closely is how they evidence their compliance, uh, particularly compliance with the culture requirements, conduct risk understandings and obligations. Now, if you are one of those third of a firms who has rejected in the last year a potentially profitable business opportunity because of cultural conduct risk concerns, I would suggest you need to record that. You need to have clear documentation as to your decision-making process, on what basis you took the decision, and the fact you took the decision not to do something. That is an incredibly powerful piece of evidence that you have a positive culture in action. And I think those sorts of elements, because culture and conduct risk is incredibly difficult to measure it's entirely qualitative totally driven by context so any opportunity you have to evidence your culture working positively i would take that with both hands but there is a huge amount here where change indicators change drivers show that the compliance function needs to be front and center to help firms change culture absolutely sits on the boardroom table but compliance officers have to be front and centre in helping firms change. Yes, uh, completely agree, which sort of leads me on to, to the second point. Uh, so we've, so the cultural indicators, as you quite rightly have, have, have summarised there, um, are one thing. 
But if we move on to, to the operational indicators, that sort of supports what you're saying about evidencing and having a process for, for doing this and having a plan uh, in place to, to be able to enact change properly. So if we do look at the operational indicators, I mean, firms are exposed, exposure to operational risk has been significantly increased during the pandemic. And from a risk management perspective, I mean, operational risk includes things like risks to people, processes, things like financial crime, data, IT. There's a raft of operational uh, risks and therefore a raft of, of indicators that, that could also point the, the need for compliance change in the future. So if we begin with, with technology, um, I mean, this isn't a new area to regulatory intelligence. I mean, people who have heard us talk about this in the past. But technology has been at the heart of the firm's ability to change. There's no getting away from it. The regulatory intelligence report for fintech, regtech and the role of compliance for 2021 found that 16% of firms have implemented a regtech solution, with a further 34% reporting that regtech solutions were affecting the management of compliance. So, you know, operational indicators are there that, that operations needs to be included in whatever future plan compliance officers come up with. Compliance uh, functions are not simply users of digital solutions. They are also required to report on them. 62% of all firms and 74% of, of globally systemic firms expect more compliance involvement in assessing things like cyber risk in the next 12 months. The wider use of technology has also made some firms more likely to outsource compliance functions. 34% of firms outsource all or part of their compliance functionality, for example. And in, in, in GCFI firms, the globally systemic firms, compliance functionality has gradually been, been brought back in-house. And this is quite an interesting point. So 24% of globally significant firms outsource all or part of their compliance functionality. Which, is, which was 33% in 2020 and 36% in 2019. So actually, GCFI firms are bringing their, their, their former outsource requirements back in-house. And so operational, uh, um, 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 so there's a lot of meat there to suggest that as well as cultural um, indicators for change, there are a lot of operational indicators for change as well. Yes, I think the whole digital transformation agenda is going to have a huge impact on firms. I mean, that's perhaps stating the entirely obvious, but compliance officers and their functions are going to have to keep pace with that. They're going to have to understand what it means for their firm, what it means for them as a compliance function. I think the I mean, digital transformation, it is estimated that pandemic, among the many other things it has impacted and changed, it's estimated that digital the pandemic has uh, accelerated digital transformation by as much as three years. So compliance really does need to play catch up with that in some respects and some aspects. Um, and picking up on some of the, the point about outsourcing, one of the other things the pandemic has shone a light on is some of the challenges in the supply chain of outsourcing. In the pandemic, did you, could you, was there entirely clear line of sight to everywhere you had had an outsourcing arrangement. That's not just for compliance functionality, but for any of your operations. 
I think a large number of firms, and as we've seen from the results, it was a trend that was already there for the largest of firms, are having a very long, hard think about actually the strategic viability of outsourcing now. You have to be very, very sure you know what's there, why it's there, and how you can bring it back in-house. And and to add a little colour to the whole outsourcing thing, the reasons, several reasons why firms have said they've outsourced some or all of their compliance was they needed additional assurance on compliance processes. There was a lack of in-house compliance skills and the need to access third-party know-your-customer functionality. Now, of those three top three reasons, the one I would suggest firms need to be most potentially concerned about if it persists is a lack of in-house compliance skills. We are talking about a massive change agenda potential here. You as a firm absolutely need those skills in-house as you're part of your compliance function if you're going to navigate this. Or perhaps I should put that, navigate this successfully. So again, we've got lots of drivers for change, but in order to accomplish that change, firms need the compliance resources in-house and specifically they need skilled compliance resources in-house, which I think brings us on to people, Mike. It does completely. That's exactly where I was going, actually. And I was just going to completely agree with you about the skills because skills was a feature of this year's report. I mean, we ask standard questions about skills, but but you're absolutely right. And um, the respondents saw a lack of necessary skills as one of the main challenges they would face in 2021. And as you've alluded to, it's not just outsourcing, but across across the, 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 the piece here. I mean, as firms and compliance functions develop, there will be a need, need for this broader range of skills. I mean, this year, the top three required for an ideal compliance officer, if there is one, were subject matter expertise, communication skills, and the ability to, to, to anticipate future regulatory trends. I mean, the report said that half of the respondents expect the cost of senior compliance staff to increase. That was 39% slightly, uh, um, um, with, who said slightly more, 8% said significantly more than, than, than last year. So, um, but actually, this is the lowest uh, um, percentage in the last in the twelve year history of the survey. So, in many ways, um, as with budgets, which we'll, I think we'll touch on, um, you know, compliance officers are being realistic about this. You know, I mean, yes, they need a range of skills, but they are expected, but they're expecting those skills to come at a price. Um. Um. So. And compliance officers are expecting uh, the reasons for this. I mean, budget cuts. We've just come out of a pandemic, so firms will be looking to cut costs. Uh, 47% said that that was the reason why the cost of compliance staff um, 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 might um, um, might reduce. And uh, remote working. Uh, 47% also said that remote working might reduce the, the, the cost of, of, of compliance staff. So we're getting a bit of a mixed bag here. Some are saying that they, they're going to increase but the reasons if it's going to decrease are around cost and, and remote working. But I suppose the ideal is for compliance teams to retain the expertise uh, that they have at the moment um, and to develop them into these sort of areas that they need the skills. And 68% of respondents expected the turnover of senior compliance staff 
to stay the same in the next 12 months. It was 60% in 2020. So there is a, 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 an expectation here that more compliance officers, given the economic environment, given the, the, the recruitment environment, uh, are going to, 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 to stay put. But all, all of this, again, uh, suggests indicators why compliance firms need to adapt their people and staffing requirements for future needs. And I would suggest one of those critical future needs are around technology skills. Um, it wouldn't be the worst idea for firms, and this doesn't just cover compliance functions, to undertake a, a skills gap analysis, particularly with regard to technology, it is already becoming apparent that technological skills are at a premium. Um, there was an uh, International Monetary Fund report um, late last year, which looked at the regulatory skill sets out there for digital transformation and also cyber and that sort of thing, and said there was a huge gap that needed to be filled. That gap also exists at far too many firms, I would suggest. So firms need to understand they not only need the technological skills, but those technological skills may actually come at quite a premium at the moment because everybody wants them. That doesn't mean you can do without them. You as a firm with technology coming to the fore and, and technology is such an enabler. Without the, without the technology, the world could not have shifted to remote working. So Technology is incredibly useful, but you have to know how to use it, how to monitor the use of it, and then what you do with it or what you should not do with it, let's be frank. And in that position, you need the technological skills in-house in your compliance function so that you have the best chance of not only using technology in the best way now, but shaping the future again, we're using that phrase, shaping the future of how technology will enable your firm to succeed and thrive into the future. Now, Mike, we've got um, truly huge change agenda here. Um, and we've mentioned resources. We've mentioned the fact in a post-pandemic world, it's, it's all likely to be a bit squeezed, to be perfectly honest. Um, where are we with compliance functions actually likely to have the resources in both people and financial to even begin to accomplish all of these these or drivers for change and indicators for change and to make all of that work? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Susanna. This is this this isn't a, we're not talking about a, a sticking plaster here to overcome a short term problem. We are talking about real long term embedded change for compliance officers to consider and plan for. And that is a huge, as you've said, a huge challenge. So let's just deal. Let's just have a look at some of these, uh, some of these um, um, examples of 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 the things that um, that compliance officers need to to consider, or may even hold compliance officers back from doing that. So if we look at the cost element uh, elements of you know future resources, uh, as well as those challenges that that we've mentioned in, the, in, in previously on the podcast. Board cited cost and dealing with the pandemic as vital challenges. So at least the indicator there is that boards, you know, see that cost that they need to spend to be able to develop your compliance functions. However, compliance officers seem to be taking a pragmatic view of cost. The, um, the report and um, the trend in the report said that in, re in recent years has largely been to keep budgets level uh, um, and the same 
with perhaps slight increases. Uh, this year reinforces that trend. Out of the 720 respondents to the survey, 36% of respondents predicted budgets will remain the same, an increase on last year, and only 42% predicting a slight increase down on last year, with, with significant increase down at 10% of respondents. So here I think the message to compliance officers is sort of clear i.e. you're not getting the money. You, you've got to continue on with the, with the sort of budget levels that we've been seeing in recent years. As for staffing requirements, respondents reported staff turnover remaining the same or decreasing slightly, as we've discussed, suggesting that the composition of compliance teams would remain as they are. In uh, globally sig uh, significant firms, uh, those predicting turnover would remain the same increase to 58% from 51% last year, and in the wider population from 60 to 68%. Those foreseen increases in staff turnover fell from 44% to 33% in GCFI firms, and 34% to 24% in the wider population. Fewer respondents expect their compliance teams will grow. In 2018, 43% of respondents predicted their compliance teams would grow, but this year that figure is down to 31%. And as we've touched on, skills is, all, is also an issue. Um, as the financial services industry changes, these skills, uh, skills will diversify. And it is the responsibility of compliance teams to ensure it keeps up to speed with changing requirements. Uh, this year's survey asked what skills compliance officers require in 2021. And as I've said, subject matter expertise came out, came out on top. Now, just a, a word on subject matter expertise, because it's quite a, a wide category that. But when we look at that, I, I, I think we assume that this covers things like technology and cyber and reg tech and artificial intelligence skills, which you sort of covered when you talked about uh, technology, but business related subjects as well, such as payments or, or niche business areas that firms may diversify into, um, especially as they look for um, new ways of generating money post the, the difficulties in the pandemic. And also we can't um, rule out, you know, the softer skills, the sort of the people, the cultural, the change, the HR type skills that, that compliance officers may need to develop to actually to, uh, uh, to fulfill future objectives. So there's no easy way to say this, but compliance officers have to manage their current objectives with the same or maybe slightly more resources, but they also have to have a significant eye on the future and assess what that means to them and, and, and plan for that. Yes, and, and planning for that may well take not only really quite a lot of time and energy and thinking for the more senior compliance officers, but they absolutely need to interweave that shaping and planning for the future with the business plans. So now more than ever, compliance needs to be and indeed be seen to be strategic business partner you can't be a compliance function that says oh well our future looks like this if that's not what the bit the firm's future looks like so compliance officers need to engage even more with the senior managers within their firm and be aligned to and coherent with in terms of the planning 
I mean, if if the firm is planning to go into, say, cryptos, obviously the compliance function will need to be able to handle that, deal with that, know what the issues are, where the pitfalls might be, all of that, and build that into their thinking for the future. There is an awful lot of value in compliance functions. And sometimes in the white heat of day-to-day chaos, when you've got a pandemic to deal with, that value can get get a little bit um, clouded because people have got, you know, chaos to deal with. Doesn't change the fact compliance functions are inherently and essentially valuable to firms. And part of this change program that we are talking about is getting that compliance functionality and the understanding of the value of it absolutely hardwired into future planning for the firm itself. Now, Mike, we've already covered just a huge spectrum of things for firms to consider, things for compliance officers to consider, given them a a really quite a shopping list of things to think about in terms of the where now and the what now and indeed the how now. But in terms of takeaways, where have we got to? Well, I think um, I'm going to end this with a bit on on the 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 how and what the future change should look like. So you're absolutely right. We've done a a reasonably good sit rep and a, and a reasonable uh, glance into the future for compliance officers and, and the reasons why they should change, as well as the what and the how, as you say. But I think that I'm going to I'm going to 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 finish on 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 two matters. And that is, first of all, the process for enacting this change, the process for getting compliance officers to the boardroom table, to the strategic change table, as you've quite rightly outlined. And then secondly, just explore a couple of the areas that compliance officers may have in their vision for the future um, um, and things that may change. So first of all, how do we how do compliance officers uh, enact the change? Well, uh, in the report, we've we've outlined a uh, a quite a simple change management type uh, process, which includes um, review, which compliance officers should undertake a root and branch review of the fundamentals of their role uh, at an early stage. This could include things like the the uh, current roles and responsibilities that they do, their current budget process, uh, the skills requirement the governance arrangements that are in place, reporting lines, information requirements, and determine what currently goes well and what currently goes badly with the current arrangements so that they have a reasonable basis upon which to move forward. I think you've mentioned post-pandemic reviews and and, and and, uh, skills audits, all of which go towards having a good grounding for uh, compliance officers to make the right future planning decisions. Secondly, is about defining um, compliance officers. Uh, before compliance officers can start to implement changes, they should have a view on what the ideal future looks like, and they should be trying to in uh, t- trying to set the compliance function not only within the context of the firm itself, but in their own image and given the regulatory background and the other external uh, challenges. Thirdly is to prepare. Compliance officers should look to manage the impact and risks of the future vision for the future, in effect doing a risk assessment of what their vision looks like. 
implement. Uh, this, this is around um, employing the effective project management disciplines, which I'm sure we all know and love. And then finally, to support. Once, once changes have been made, to evaluate and monitor the achievement against the original objectives. So quite a simple way, high level way to enact change uh, within a firm. But like I say, that, that um, process um, only supports your point, which is to get you to the strategic table and to get the compliance officer's ideas and vision um, 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 aligned with the strategic vision of the firm. And I suppose the final thing here is, well, okay, in what ways does that vision take shape? In what ways could the compliance officers mold that vision? Well, it's actually difficult to be comprehensive um, when each firm will have their own cultures, ways of doing things uh, and strategies for the future. Uh, and compliance officers will undoubtedly have their own views uh, about how they want things to work. But I guess a couple of areas to consider are uh, things like um, a future compliance culture. What does that look like? Now, I know we speak regularly on the need for firms to have an effective compliance culture, but perhaps it, to really nail this one down, compliance officers should be thinking more about behaviours than processes. A diversion from the regulatory messages, I know, but a move towards behavioural compliance focuses the organisation and compliance officers on values. The compliance officer's role becomes more about whether the values are appropriate, whether the bar has been set sufficiently high enough on values that, that, that they are defined correctly and whether they can be demonstrated throughout the firm. There needs to be a greater emphasis on the compliance of individuals rather than processes, making the individual the heart of the organisation rather than an operator of a process may drive improved performance and compliance. And this may move compliance functions away from the more traditional compliance with processes um, scenarios that we see. Um, and, and they may get more involved with the adequacy of conduct policies, standards for new recruits, staff training, and other perhaps less tangible elements of conduct, but nevertheless, all the more um, 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 effective in making sure that a firm is compliant if you can uh, ensure that the individual is compliant. And I suppose the second thing and probably the last thing that last takeaway that I want to, to, to mention here and just to reinforce what you've been saying around technology is um, the, the operational and technological um, opportunities that compliance officers have here. Compliance officers um, um, need to have a vision about what compliance technology looks like in the future. Um, and they must, they must dovetail this with, as you said, with, with the strategy of the firm. I mean, let's not forget that big tech companies um, will in the future try to develop their own solutions in financial services sector. And compliance officers and firms need to know what impact that will have on them and prepare accordingly. Now, I'm sure there are many other ways that compliance officers come up with, with um, to materially change the way they are, um, their firms will work in the future. Um, but the point here, and the point of the report possibly, is that that sort of thinking should be started now. They should be, compliance officers should start thinking about the long-term future now and planning for that, whether that be by long-term vision, 
future process or whatever means they see fit. But the thinking around the future should start now, now that the opportunity arises post-pandemic. Thank you, Mike. I mean, I think that that sums up an awful lot of what is in the Costa Compliance Report. What I would add into that, picking up on the thread of the individual being at the centre of all of this, is really perhaps a reminder that accountability and individual accountability regimes have proliferated around the world. And for compliance officers to best help their firm, individuals themselves need to know how to be compliant and how to evidence they have been compliant. Because the individual accountability regimes around the world are seeking to hold those same individuals liable should there be a breach of compliance. Now, that has not not universally, but pretty much been paused during the pandemic. But there is no way that the regulators haven't been paying attention. So as part of the post-pandemic review for both regulators and firms, the individual is going to come back into the spotlight. So as a key element for how compliance functions build, reorganize, upgrade, upskill for the future, having the individuals at the heart of that and how individuals' behaviors impact things, um, I would suggest is a very good way to begin to envision your planning. And that is almost business strategy neutral with, with regard to the firm, because no matter what your firm strategy is, it will involve individuals. So you as the compliance officer can help influence how that goes forward in a culturally positive, conduct risk aware, compliant, and all of the regulatory obligations, hopefully under control and evidenced as being compliant. On that note, Mike, thank you very much as ever. It was a pleasure writing the report with you and uh, we hope everybody finds the report uh, very useful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. Now, I'm going to include a link to the Cost Compliance Report for 2021 in the episode notes. If you're interested in delving a touch further into all of this, Mike and I and another of our colleagues, Todd Errett, will be doing a webinar on the Cost of Compliance, which will go out on the 9th of June. Um, also in the episode notes, there will be a download link for further information on Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence. And then, as always, last but not least, please do take the time to review the podcast and let us know any suggestions you may have for future topics. Thank you very much for listening. Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.